All right, here we are. We are um, with our, our our last untanned grassy knoll show of the year this final Friday in the month, and we do it the last Friday of every month, along with uh, Adam Go Rightly and I'm Biz. Uh, with us uh, today in this first hour, we will have um, the well-known Jim Mars, author, researcher. The second hour, we're going to have on Rob Sterling. He's the guy behind the website conformist.com. And so um, we'll get right to the chase because what we're going to have front and center of this interview is Jim's latest work, and that is um, – I, well, he's going to tell us exactly what it's all about, but it's above, it's about AboveTopSecret.com, and that's a website known to many of you. We'll hear more about it from Jim, and uh, his website, by the way, is JimMars.com, and that's with two R's, one word. And, Jim, uh, thanks for being with us. Hey, Keith, it's good to be with you tonight. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I think most of us are very familiar with that website, um, interesting in uh, all manner, shapes, and sizes. Uh, what led you to uh, pick this up as a topic for uh, a book? Well, uh, I've got to admit, I was a little uh, put off when I was first contacted by the uh, people there at AboveTopSecret.com, and they said, we want you to write us a book about all of the major conspiracies in history. Well, Jim, that might be belated intro music. No. Okay. Uh, we wanted to give you that fanfare coming in, so just chalk it up to being a little late. Okay. But let's get back on track with uh, you said that you were contacted by the folks there, whoever they may be, uh, and so go ahead, please pick it up. And well, they wanted me to write this book about all the major uh, conspiracies and mysteries and everything, and I was thinking, good grief. I said, you know, there's literally <coughs> books themselves written each, on each one of these topics. And I, furthermore, I thought, you know, if I've got to go in there and go back and do all the research and dig up and you know, source everything and, uh, you know, uh, accredit every little bit of information, I said, that's going to be a heck of a job. It'd take forever. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, you've been at this for a long time, and uh, you've built up some credibility as a journalist and an author, and we just simply want you to touch on all of these and just say, here's here's what this is about. So I have taken about 19 big big topics. And, Keith, you know we could spend an entire program just on any one of these topics. From was 9-11 inside job, is the supply of oil peaking? What happened down in Stephenville, Texas? Or is free energy being kept from the public? Are chemtrails for real? Who killed JFK? Good grief, on and on. But this was really kind of a delight and a very interesting project to work on because instead of getting mired down into how many shooters are on the grassy knoll and or what is the melting point of steel, uh, I just took the old journalism tact of who, what, when, where, and why. Let's just go back to the facts and look at it and, and see if we can figure out what's going on. And uh, it was really quite uh, an interesting project. And 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 at least I think for a lot of people, I've been told by a lot of people who've read Above Top Secret, that it kind of clears the air. Uh, because, for example, on what crashed at Roswell, uh, nobody denies that something crashed near Roswell in 19, July of 1947. <laughs> but the question, of course, and the big controversy has become exactly what was it? Well, on the one hand... If you prefer 
to trust the government and believe the U.S. government, which has changed its story four times and has little or nothing to support its pronouncement, nothing unusual happened there. Uh, yes, originally they announced <clears throat> with a military press release that they'd captured a flying saucer. But the next day, higher authority said, no, no, they're all mistaken. It's just a weather balloon. And then that went on for some years. And then they said, oh, no, well, okay, all right, it wasn't just a weather balloon. It was a top-secret mogul balloon that was used to testify to test the atmosphere uh, to see if the Russians were setting off atomic weapons. Uh, nobody quite explained why they had to do this over New Mexico uh, instead of Turkey or somewhere <laughs> like that. But uh, And then they changed it again and said, no, 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 no. Well, what they actually saw there were, were crash dummies. And they, like the government does, put out a whole official Air Force book called Case Closed. Okay, Case Closed, it was just a crash dummy test. And the only problem is right there in their own report, they clearly point out that the very first crash dummy tests were not conducted until 1954. So... We still wonder about what really happened in Roswell in 1947. But if you want to believe the government, nothing unusual happened. However, on the other hand, if you choose to believe more than 600 individuals that are now on the public record, they all say, well, uh, it was a disc, flying saucer. And there were bodies, small little non-human bodies. And I uh, picked up the pieces of metal, and I carried the bodies to the hangar, and I guarded the hangar, and I flew the bodies to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And there they all are. So it's just a question of who you want to believe. Well, I'll tell you, I think uh, most of us on, uh, <clears throat> on both sides of this microphone uh, are probably not too uh, confident in our government for telling us the truth, low, uh, not only in these many decades, but probably over centuries. So... Uh, and I think that's really what it comes down to when you uh, were mentioning before about the facts. I think it also goes back to what are the facts. In other words, the government can take the high ground because they're the ones that uh, obviously have the biggest megaphone and uh, do definitely issue what they consider to be the facts. And, you know, it's it's pretty tough to, chis uh, to chisel uh, away at that. Uh, you mentioned Roswell. We go to 9-11. Isn't part of the problem, though, whether or not the facts of the situation aren't skewed in themselves because for the most part, they're issued and promulgated by the government. Exactly, and I'll give you a classic example of that. <clears throat> the cl the uh, clue to understanding 9-11 is to understand what happened to Building 7, the third skyscraper that fell in New York on September the 11th, 2001, and that nobody much talks about. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm just suddenly getting choked up here. Uh, and... Uh, this was a 47-story steel and glass modern skyscraper. It was not hit by any airplanes. It's known as the Solomon Brothers Building. It was nestled between the Verizon Building and the U.S. Post Office, across the street from World Trade Center Buildings 5 and 6, which were between it and the Twin Towers. But at 5.25 that afternoon, this 47-story Building 7 just dropped into its own footprints, barely damaging the uh, either building to either side of it. Uh, it was just amazing. Both CNN and uh, the BBC both announced that the building had collapsed 
about 20 minutes before it collapsed. Mm-hmm. In fact, the BBC report is especially funny because they're sitting there talking about the collapse of Building 7, and over the reporter's shoulder you can still see Building 7 standing there, you know. So they put out their story just a little bit too soon. So the big question is what brought down Building 7? Well, the much-vaunted 9-11 Commission report <coughs> just didn't talk about it. Here's this whole report, and they never mentioned Building 7. How's that for an investigation? All right, but then there's, they kept saying, well, we'll explain that later. The FEMA finally put out a report that said, well, we think it was brought down by just fires, weakened the building, the building finally fell down. But they said that's our best guess, and in actuality that has a very low probability of having occurred. In other words, here's what we guess, but we don't really even think this is what happened. And that was the official explanation. And when people raised Cain about that, they said, well, we'll uh, we're going to issue a report a little later on. So they got the National Institutes of Technology and Standards and Technology, NIST, and they issued a big report, and they said, well, it, it was just fired. It just, you know, caused the metal to uh, weaken and the building just collapsed. And uh, contrary to what, what has been stated, it did not collapse at free fall speed. In other words, the, indicating there was no supports within that building, which is indicative of a controlled demolition. They said, no, 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 it, uh, it collapsed, and there was a five-second lag or so anyway, you know, so it didn't collapse at free fall speed. Well, that particular NIST report got ballyhooed all across the country by the corporate mass media. What they have not reported on in any significant way is that months later, when uh, NIST's hand was called on this, they were forced to back up and go, well, okay, our methodology was a little sloppy, and uh, we were only talking about the first 18 floors, and yes, it did drop at free fall speed, again, indicating controlled demolition. So you see how that uh, <clears throat> the first story comes out, it just collapsed because of the fire. And that's what everybody's been told, so that's what most people believe. And then people who actually stick to the story, they find out that, no, it was something else. So they issue another official report, and everybody believes that. And then when that is shown to be false, they don't really get that information. This is why these topics tend to become controversies, because in a lot of instances, it's really not a controversy. The JFK assassination, for example, Everybody everybody would agree that it's controversial. Well, no, it's not. It only appears controversial because of the wide gap in knowledge between those who've chosen to listen and believe the government and those who've actually studied the case. Okay, uh, uh, Jim, we're getting a little bit of a rattle over here. Are you sliding on a, a headset, perhaps? Uh, no. Okay. I'm, I, well, I, yes, but that's all I've got. So that's okay. It's just a, it sounds like somebody. Maybe if I stay still, it'll be uh, better. <laughs> okay. Well, um, again, with all that you covered uh, for the purpose of this book, Above Top Secret, um, did you necessarily take a stance on where things, uh, on what it was about? You said you more or less let the facts speak for themselves. Right. Again, as a journalist, you know you can make you can make stats do a lot of things. You make info do a lot of things. Um, well, okay. Again, let's go to the Kennedy assassination. Sure. Right. All right, number one, we can all agree that Kennedy was killed when he was shot in the head riding a motorcade through Dallas, Texas, on November the 22nd, 1963. No argument there, right? Okay, 
So <clears throat> he was either shot by one person, one lone assassin, in which case it's kind of a tragedy or a or a accident of history, or there was somebody else involved other than a lone assassin, maybe two assassins, maybe three assassins, or maybe some support people for the one assassin. In any one of those instances, you're talking about a conspiracy, right? So everyone, most everyone, with with some few prominent exceptions who have authored books and produced TV specials, but everyone, for the most part, who's actually studied the case would agree that if Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald, took a shot at Kennedy, he certainly was not alone. We now have uh, uh, that, that. No, you know, no, that's that's how we know Adam Gorightly is here. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, he uh, he uh, told me uh, via our uh, chat room that it's uh, his headset. Ah. So it's either that or Romulan. So uh... <laughs> put your head on straight, Adam. Put your headset. <laughs> Literally. Hello there, hello there uh, gentlemen. Thanks for uh, coming on, Jim, and Viz uh, uh, for showing up tonight. He's running a uh, temperature. Proceed. I'll try not to make uh, a lot more noise with my headset. That's okay. I'm, I'm ingesting uh, fluids as we speak that are sprinkled liberally with barley. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. No, but uh, uh, go ahead, Jim. You were picking it up with the... Uh, yeah. I was just explaining that everyone who's actually studied the details of the Kennedy assassination will agree that if Oswald even fired a shot, and there is a lot of evidence to suggest he did not, including the Dallas paraffin test, which showed that just an hour or so after the shooting, there were no traces of gunpowder on his face or his hands, and only some nitrates on his hands, which don't necessarily come from firing a gun, but none on his face, indicating he had not fired that loose bolt rifle that day. Plus, it goes on and on. <clears throat> we now have a photograph of a man on the grassy knoll. Uh, people at the scene reported sm smoke drifting off the grassy knoll. Other witnesses, such as Gene Hill, just flat said there was somebody firing from behind that fence on the grassy knoll. If this was any other case, if I tried to tell people that there was not a shooter on the grassy knoll, I would be considered quite the idiot. But this is the Kennedy assassination, so it's controversial. So in other words, it's not really because everyone who studied the case agrees that if Oswald acted, he did not act alone. Okay, that means there was a conspiracy. And how come we don't know more about this conspiracy? And the answer is because at the level of the federal government of the United States, there has been documented instances of suppression of evidence, destruction of evidence, fabrication of evidence, alteration of evidence, and intimidation of witnesses. Now, in any criminal case, these are punishable offenses. You go to jail, okay? But no, these were committed by the federal government. And this is what translates what at that time was simply another Texas homicide against John F. Kennedy into a national coup d'etat. Agreed. Now, I'm going to ask you, uh, either through your research or perhaps uh, because of your age, just like myself, what was really striking was that when they had uh, what was the select, uh, select uh, subcommittee on the assassination in 77, mm -hmm. they yeah, concluded, mm -hmm. yeah, and they concluded um, that there were more than three shots. That's right. Yeah, and then but it, but then it just went away. It just went away because 
the same people who were behind the assassination of President John Kennedy own the mass media, and they own and or control the about six corporations now that control everything we see and hear. Uh, and when I say that, I'm not just talking about news departments. Um, I'm talking about movies, uh, TV, videos, music, CDs, satellite, cable, billboards. They control it all, and it's all controlled by one of six corporations now. Jim, this is very, very important that you would mention something like that, because when I think back, first of all, I think conspiracy theory. I first came into the, the uh, American lexicon right after Kennedy's assassination. I don't really remember it being an idiom, if you will, that was uh, bandied about by anybody. So here I think we have a new era, so to speak, of um, suspicion, if we would, of government reports. Um, well, and we've seen this come full circle, haven't we? I believe you're right. I believe that prior to the Kennedy assassination, uh, if anyone mentioned conspiracy theory, it probably was in connection with a mafia uh, court case because plenty of, plenty of gangsters had been put away on charges of conspiring to violate laws. So they were charged and convicted of conspiracy. Uh, conspiracy is in all the law books. Plenty of people have been jailed on conspiracy charges. But after the Kennedy assassination, when people began to question the official version and began to say, wait a minute, speculate on what actually may have occurred, then all of a sudden the term conspiracy theory became a very negative, derogatory term. It's, well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Okay? But now, now we've come full circle because uh, the attacks of September the 11th, 2001, were obviously the result of a large conspiracy. So now you can't be poo-pooed for thinking in terms of conspiracy. So actually now the term conspiracy theorist has kind of been rehabilitated thanks to 9-11. But uh, here's my take on this whole thing. It's interesting. It's one thing to advance a theory, but if you can prove it, it's not a theory. Well, yeah, but, but there you go again with what somebody accepts as evidence or not. But I, I want to go back to one thing also that you said, because when people look at you and they go, well, you know, uh, how, can, uh, how can it be conspiracy? How can uh, it be kept that much of a secret? Actually, I don't think it is, but I'll, I'll run this by it, because to me, this has always been the case. When you were talking before about um, owning the information outlets, and, and to me, the conspirators, and I, I would name a few, I mean, I think in this country, definitely Rockefeller, Carnegie, and a lot of the other robber barons in there, uh, generational families and foundations have done much uh, to uh, move this nation, and we're seeing it happening right now, uh, toward global rule. Yeah. But first you corner the money, then you corner the information outlets, then you buy the government, and then because of that you get to avail yourself of its military to do what you want it to do. That's exactly right. And here's the explanation. Uh, I, I've been in the media all my life almost. In fact, even in high school, I was working on a, news, a daily newspaper on a junior achievement program. So, I'm, I mean, I've been in it my entire life. You cannot, it's true that there's no conspiracy to silent or to censor every reporter and every editor out here in, in, the, in the United States. That, you no, know, you can't do that. But you can control the distribution 
of the information. Uh, for a good example is the UFO issue. A lot of people still scoff and laugh about the reality of UFOs because, number one, they are the victims of a government program initiated in the 1950s of denial and ridicule. There's nothing there, folks, and if you keep saying there is, then there must be something mentally wrong with you, and it's been very successful. But the next reason is because there'll be we don't get to hear about all of the UFO incidents that happen week to week. If the New York Times or the Washington Post or ABC or CBS or CNN would simply run a daily running tab like they do with the stock market and say, today in West Virginia, a UFO was sighted at such and such, uh, and then in California, UFO sighted such and such. In uh, Arizona, UFO was sighted and such and such. It wouldn't take but just a week or two of this before everybody in this country would go, holy crap, there's something going on. Those UFOs are real, and they're here, and they're all over the place. But when you don't have distribution of the information, then you might read something in your local paper once every blue moon or see something on TV briefly, and then weeks, months will go by. You don't see any other stories, so you think, well, that was just somebody been smoking the wrong stuff. And that is the that is the way the media cover up takes place. They can't control every editor and reporter, but they can control the distribution of the information. Uh, this is the Untamed Grass. You know, we're coming up on about 25 minutes after the hour, and our uh, guest for the first hour is Jim Mars. The website is jimmars.com. That's M-A-R-R-S. Uh, we're talking about a number of things, but that will be all spring forth from his new offering entitled Above Top Secret. And, Jim, I'll tell you, while we have the time now, uh, can you tell us more about the site and, and the books and the other information that you have available on jimmars.com? Well, you're getting a lot of uh, – I post stories that you will not find in the mainstream media. And because I'm not in competition with them, uh, you know, if, if, we, if you want to know what the establishment says, then, you know, read the local newspaper or watch TV. But if you want to find out some of the stories that you're not going to see there, then come visit JimMars.com. Uh, you can also pick up my books there. Of course, my books are available most anywhere, Amazon, uh, any bookstore. The uh, I was really gratified on my right before Above Top Secret came out, and it's only been out like uh, about a month, uh, and it's been doing great. People have really responded to it. And uh, I never thought of this, but they said this is really a great Christmas gift because, you know, for anybody that has the slightest interest in conspiracies or what's going on behind the scenes, uh, then this is this is this gives them a primer, gives them a who, what, when, where, and why. So it uh, really has been an exciting uh, ride, and I was also gratified that the book right before this one is the Rise of the Fourth Reich. And uh, this is how that, and, and there I deal very specifically with these giant multinational corporations that now control what we see and hear in this country. And they all, uh, and certainly some of the more important ones, can be traced right back to Hitler and the Nazis. Uh, so it's, uh-huh. really, it's really amazing. And what we see going on in this country, the um, economic uh, debacle, uh-huh. And uh, the uh, destruction of uh, 
prominent structures, uh, followed by rush through emergency legislation uh, that sets up a uh, police state. Uh, I mean, it's we're just falling right in the same path as uh, Germany did in the 1930s. And it's by the same people, the same families, the same oligarchy. No doubt about it. Uh, and also, folks, uh, if you do want to answer the question of Jim, you can do so by using that chat room on uh, libertasmedia.org. Uh, and, I mean, this hour is going to fly by because we're approaching a half hour, half gone. So uh, don't be shy. If, uh, if you want to ask something of Jim, by all means, please do so. Uh, in the meantime, uh, let me also do this, Jim. Um, you do have you do cover a, a variety of issues, uh, and that's probably also very close to all of our hearts. But there is a time when you wonder if, by mixing certain issues, you somehow um, vitiate yourself, uh, demean your message, because there are things that don't seem to go together yet. In essence, that everything goes together. And, and one of the topics would be UFOs. Do we all believe they're out there? Yes. Uh, is that a venue through which people sometimes go a little bit wide of the center? Yes. Uh, how about for yourself? I mean, how do you manage to keep a credibility about issues that are more tangible, if you will, and yet touch things that have been historically called, you know, tinfoil issues like, U, like UFOs? And, from, and let me just say for myself, I've had three encounters. Ain't nobody going to tell me there's not something else going on up there. But how do you do that? I mean, because people can always turn around and say, well, look, he deals with such and such. That, therefore, whatever he does with Kennedy or whatever he does with 9-11 can't be true. Do you face that at all? Uh, yes, that I do. In fact, uh, there, there was a period of time there when I was more or less blacklisted from attending JFK assassination conferences because uh, certain segments of that community said, oh, don't invite him. He, he writes about UFOs. Mm -hmm. But I think that that was uh, pretty much answered by one of the uh, leaders of the JFK research communities who said, look, Jim Mars is a reporter, a journalist. He covers items of interest to the public, and there are a lot of people interested in UFOs, and that's very true. And basically, that's where I come from. But I will also add that uh, you, you said it yourself. If you reject the reality of UFOs and refuse to look at this subject, refuse to study the facts, the information, the history, then I can assure you of one thing. You will never understand the truth of what's happening on this world today because you are refusing to look at one of the major pieces of the puzzle. Well, there's no doubt about it that we all treat UFOs as the uh, the elephant in your bedroom that's not there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and the fact I have a chapter in the new book above Top Secret says who parked the moon, and of course, and this is a great example of our circular logic. The moon should not be where it is. Okay, Isaac Asimov said that it shouldn't be there. Because now the most prominent theory for how the moon came to be out of time. Just uh, another one of our uh, wonderful musical interludes. <laughs> Jim, shoot that thing, brother. Not you, Jim. Our producer, Jim. Really?
No, she's she's a mechanical thing. There you go, Jim. Yeah, awesome. Okay, here we go. That, that, excuse me, that was really interesting. <laughs> what are we doing over there? Hey, big guy. Jim, only the best for you, buddy. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I tell you what, can you hang on to that book for a second? And um, uh, Jim, our producer, has told us we have a caller. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you got to sit back and enjoy this. <laughs> Hello? Uh, can we get rid of that uh, music? What music? There you go. Uh, that's beautiful, Jim. All right, now, again, going back to, I guess, wherever it was with chaos all went crazy. Um, we supposedly had a caller, a big gym in Illinois. Uh, do we have somebody on? Hello? Hello, caller. Hello, Viv? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, you're here, brother. You're here okay, with Jim okay. Uh, I'd like to ask Jim a question concerning the uh, what his opinion is of the uh, Bill Cooper version of the Zabuda film with the... Uh, uh, driver shoots Kennedy. There you uh, go, Jim. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to disparage the deceased, but Bill Cooper continued to make the claims that the driver turned and shot Kennedy, and you can plainly see it on the Zapruder film. And, he, and along with that, he said that everyone who was within 25 or 30 feet of the car when that happened was dead within a few years. Uh, well, I hate to bust anybody's bubble, but neither one of those are true. And, in fact, I talked to Bill Cooper myself, as did several other serious JFK assassinations years ago, and informed him that there had been very good studies made. In fact, the origin, this original theory <clears throat> that the driver shot Kennedy was advanced by a California researcher named Lars Hansen. And I've spoken with Lars Hansen. And Lars Hansen saw a bad uh, third or fourth generation copy of the Brew film. And he just said, wow, it kind of looks like the driver turned around and there's a flash. And he shot him. Uh, he has since repudiated that. He has since said, no, that doesn't happen because he saw better copies, slowed down, frame-by-frame copies. Bill Cooper was informed of this and, for whatever purposes, uh, continued to spread that story for the rest of his life as well as selling uh, some really bad copies of the Zapruder film uh, where he tried to advance the idea that the driver shot Kennedy. Uh, so basically, no, that did not happen. That's great. That's what I wanted to hear. Uh, oh, hold on, Cole. Hold on, Cole. Uh, Cole, do you have another question? If not, I'd like you to uh, uh, hang there because I have something I would like to ask Jim while you're still oh, with us. Okay. Uh, shall I go ahead, or do you got something else you want to come back with? No, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine All for right. right now. All Thanks. right, let me ask you this, Jim, because um, while our call was with us, and I'm sorry, this only came to me about the last couple of years. I don't know, maybe it's an aha, and maybe it's a duh. But I'm thinking to myself, while all that havoc cut loose in Dealey Plaza, 
while everybody in that area was grabbing grass and, and laying low. Do, do we ever question the fact that Zapruder was standing straight up like a monument taking this film? Well, Is there something a little bit weird about all this? Uh, yes, there is, but th that gets into some very uh, mm -hmm. gray nuances of the whole thing. See, he worked in the same building. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. God bless you. He worked in the same building with John DeMornshield, who had a dress company there. And uh, John DeMornshield and her husband, George DeMornshield, were the last known close friends of Lee Harvey Oswald. They were also close friends with J. Walter Moore, who happened to be the CIA contacts chief in Dallas at that time. So you've got this curious mixture of Lee Harvey Oswald and CIA intelligence. Uh, George DeMornshield, uh, and, and until late in World War II, was actually working for the Nazis. And uh, he was another one of those that was probably turned at the end of the war and began working for the old OSS, which eventually became the CIA. So you have all that involved there. And according to Zabru's own story, uh, he uh, hadn't really thought about anything until he suddenly remembered that uh, President Kennedy was coming to town and, and, and somebody told him to go get his camera. So he went got a new camera, put some film in it, went down to Dealey Plaza, got on a pedestal, a, a uh, part of this uh, little colonnade there, had his uh, receptionist, Marilyn Sitzman, come with him, and he stood there, and he had her stand behind him and hold on to him because he was had a little bit of acrophobia. He was afraid of heights. Mm -hmm. And then he proceeded to film the, the entire assassination. But keep in mind, especially all you younger listeners, that that film was bought up by Time Life, uh, who was headed by men who with close associations with the CIA, and that film, the Zapruder film, was not seen for 15 years after the assassination. Well, everybody's seen it now, so everybody goes, oh, yeah, the Zapruder film, back and to the left. Oh, yeah. There you go. But, hey, nobody saw that for 15 years. In fact, let me tell you, some of your younger folks, we're going through a similar period today as we went through in the years following the Kennedy assassination. For about 15 years after the Kennedy's assassination, it was just considered impolite to bring that topic up and talk about it in, uh, in, in good company, okay? We just don't talk about that. And if you try to raise it, then, well, you're just kind of a bore. And not only that, but you might be kind of unpatriotic. And, folks, yep. we're going through the same thing today with 9-11. You're just not supposed to talk about it. If you do talk about it, well, you must be just some kind of conspiracy theorist and maybe even unpatriotic. But trust me, the evidence is there in another year or two, three or four, five or six, ten or fifteen, if anybody survives. It's all going to come out and everybody's just going to accept the fact that 9-11 was an inside job as being self-evident. Um, uh, caller, having heard all that, do you uh, have the follow-up question? Not really. I have quite a few questions, but I'm kind of in the moment. I'm kind of shocked that I'm actually talking <laughs> and uh, being recorded. You know, I mean, I've, I've been a long time listener to you, Viz, and Adam. You know, you introduced me to Adam. I listened to all of his shows, and I've read uh, quite a few of Jim's books. And uh, recently, I saw 
uh, evidence for revision, and it basically does a pretty good job of pointing out that uh, LBJ was more involved in the assassination than I thought, you know, before. And uh, in fact, there's that one. Uh, the thing that really uh, blew my mind was when I saw uh, the uh, basically it looks like the police chief, you know, got out of the way, went over and touched the uh, limousine or whatever he was going to take Oswald off in. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ruby comes forth, jams, you know, takes two shots, and here's the man who's supposed to be guarding, uh, you know, Oswald, and he doesn't even react to the first two shots. It's after the second shot, he actually turns his head and goes, oh, what's going on? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say, I think, right now. All right, listen, we appreciate the phone call. Yeah, Viz, keep up yeah, the good work, it, man. Okay, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And yes, it is amazing some of the things that are now known. <clears throat> but see, again, nobody puts it together. The only people that have the money and the and, and the only people who will purchase um, documentaries that might talk about conspiracy are the very people who are controlling the information, and they don't allow this information out. So it's a little bit here, a little bit there. Only Oliver Stone had the clout to make a movie where he threw in so many bits of information that you can't help but see that movie and go, wow, uh-huh. there was, there's some sort of conspiracy going on there. Well, let, let me, hey, hey, I'll blow your mind. The morning after the Kennedy assassination, on Saturday morning, November the 23rd, 1963, in the early editions of the Dallas Morning News, the district attorney, who officially was in total charge of that case, Henry Wade stated, he said, my office is uncovering evidence that there was a vast conspiracy involved. And he said, we're not going to rest until we see every single person involved, uh, you know, indicted. Um, By noon, he changed his story. Oh, yeah. Well, again, you're right. It's always the first takes on media uh, that have been preserved by people somehow, somewhere, uh, that show you that there was a much different response to an event like 9-11, like Kennedy assassination, it's gotten lost in time. But let me tell you, Jim, you must have struck a nerve. we got another caller. You ready? Okay. Uh, caller? Yeah, I'm right here. All right. Uh, I got uh, you got your Mars. The, hi. Um, i got a question about the video Redgate. The people in that, that were interviewed, when they were asked about their interludes, uh, when they were uh, taken, they were crying uh, when they were asked about what happened to them, they would talk about how much they loved those people. And you could tell them that those people were just, they were just threatened inside. Was there any, anything that was ever done for those people or were those people ever put, put into hypnosis to find out what really happened to them? Yes. Yes, they did. Uh, if you go back and watch uh, my entire uh, presentation of the, the, uh, uh, Secret of Redgate, you'll find that uh, particularly the uh, man and woman, and they're now, of course, you know, mature people. Uh, that was one of the strangest stories I've come across. The woman uh, had a UFO encounter, and it kind of like triggered these mem- memories in her, and so, but she couldn't re- really remember the details, so she went uh, and underwent some hypnosis, and uh, under hypnosis it came out that when she was a little small girl in Montana, 
she would go out from her ranch house and go out into the woods and meet her little gray friends who had landed in this saucer-shaped uh, craft. Uh, when this came out during her hypnosis, it shocked her because she did not remember that. So she called up her brother and said, because he had been there too, and he had a conscious memory of it. He said, you don't remember that? He said, you, <laughs> he said, you hogged the conversation. So both of these people, now one had conscious memory of this event, the other had, had only came out during hypnosis. So uh, we submitted them, number one, to a polygraph examination, and it showed they were both telling the truth as best they knew it. We then uh, had them both undergo hypnosis, and under hypnosis they gave even further details of going into the woods, meeting with these little small gray Aliens, I suppose. Anyway, they weren't, and they were non-humans. And then we went to the extent of having some uh, remote viewers. These are people who have developed the psychic technology of uh, of uh, viewing through their mental facilities, and they had the ones we used involved and and had been trained by some of the uh, military remote viewers that had been trained by the United States Army and uh, on the technology that had been developed through the CIA. And they had no idea of what we were asking. We simply sent them a coordinate number, which represented the question, what happened to this young boy and girl back in the early 1950s? And you want to be amazed? Uh -huh. We had seven, I believe, of these uh, remote viewers in different cities, in different states, scattered around the country. They were only given a number as their target, but all seven came back and said these were two young people, a boy and a girl, who went from a ranch house type building into the woods and met with aliens. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Cole, you have uh, another question? Yeah, that's about it. Thank you very much. All right, thank you very much. Also, before we go any further, um, we also have a question that Adam's been waiting to ask you as well. Adam, are you uh, ready to go? Yes, I am. Hey, uh, Jim, I think I'm responsible for most of the chaos that's been going on here tonight, so I apologize <laughs> for that, but <laughs> that's live radio, you know. Hey, I want to give, give you props on uh, your research in the uh, Kennedy assassination. I'm a big fan of your work going back to your book uh, Crossfires, which uh, I was exposed to in the uh, late 1980s, and you got, you're talking about the uh, Zapruder film there a minute ago. I first saw that back when I was a wee lad in the uh, mid-70s or so. Geraldo Rivera, of all people, uh, uh, aired it for the first time on his show. I think it was Good Night America, or I forget the exact title, and... Uh, Dick Gregory was I think, up there. I think it was Good Night America. Yeah, uh -huh. and uh, one of the panelists there was Dick Gregory, I guess, who helped him get a hold of it. I've heard recently that um, the, uh, somebody who was instrumental in getting him the uh, Zapruder film was uh, Freddie Prinze, of all people, the uh, you know famous comedian uh, who uh, apparently, supposedly committed... Uh, Suicide, and 
And right. I, when I, I heard this recently, I got thinking about a lecture I heard from Dick Gregory back oh, 20 years ago or so where he was claiming that uh, the CIA or somebody had gotten to uh, Prince and that is he was suicided. So any thoughts on all of this? Uh, well, of course, you know, when you get into something like that, yes, I know everything you're talking about. And I think it's true that uh, Freed Prince was mixed up in that whole group that was uh, looking very hard at, at the Kennedy assassination and, and eventually helped get the uh, Zapruder film out to the public. Now, of course, whether or not he was murdered, uh, unfortunately, that's one of these uh, plausible, deniable things that the government agencies love to work with. Uh, I don't think that there's enough evidence to prove that. But then when you look at the pattern, you look at the pattern of people who died. In fact, um, I have been accused of, uh, in Crossfire, of writing about strange deaths. Oh, everybody died a strange death. Well, that's not exactly what I called them. I called them convenient deaths. They were very convenient just like the latest one, this Mike Connell, okay, the Republican operative who was uh, Carl Rove's electronics guy. And he was on the scene in 2000, 2004, and uh, again in 2008 at all of the times that they felt like there had been computer manipulation of the votes. So he was a key guy. He, had, he was the object of an investigate official a law enforcement investigation, he had intimated that he was ready to spill the beans, whether his conscience got to him or whether, uh, you know, whatever, maybe he wanted to plea bargain. But the idea was is that he was going to blow the whistle on the Karl Rove, George Bush manipulation of these elections. And, oops, his plane went down, and he died in a plane crash. Just like Senator Paul Wellstone, the one Republican that was keeping them from uh, having uh, the one senator that was keeping them from the, the Bush neocons from having control over the Senate, who was opposing our entry into Iraq, and who was questioning 9/11. Oops, his plane went down. Hey, so, didn't uh, uh, didn't Hill Boggs die in a uh, plane crash? Exactly. Hale Boggs sat on the Warren Commission. Uh, he was a representative from Louisiana. Uh, he was one of the first and most vocal of the Warren Commissioners who began to question their own conclusions. And uh, he took a plane flight up to uh, Alaska, and that plane, his body, has never been found. Oh, by the way, um, another, one I, oh, another one I might mention was my friend, Senator John Tower from uh -huh. Texas, who uh, was a Republican. But he was a Texas Republican, had been a school teacher, and I believe that he was more a constitutional Republican than a neocon Republican. And uh, he was in charge of the investigation into the Iran-Contra affair. And uh, there was a lot of scandal and controversy going on during the Reagan years because of uh, Oliver North lying to the Congress uh, trying to get a war going in Central America against the wishes of the American people and their elected representatives. And John Tower was in the thick of that, and uh, he was getting ready to write a tell-all book, and oh, his plane went down. So you have to look at the connections, 
and and uh, and just look at the statistics because the people who pull off uh, these government-induced homicides, if indeed that's what they were, uh, they know what they're doing. Uh, Jim, before we go on any further, a couple of things to clean up before we go into what we would like to have you address is most likely the last topic. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of the things I always found was that uh, Democratic politicians have a much greater uh, uh, incidence of dying by plane crash. <laughs> yeah, it does. It seems to be disproportionate, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. And also, uh, Hale Boggs, according to Garrison, was um, apparently a supportive and, I guess you could say, instigative um, spirit with him, which he said he would not uh, make known uh, during that time. Uh, but apparently it was known, yeah. and that might have led, obviously, to the plane crash that took his and uh, Begich's life. Right. Now, we do have one question from a while ago, and I'm sorry to kind of get out of tandem here, but um, th th when we were talking about UFOs, uh, somebody had mentioned something, and the question is, I am wondering why a CNN space reporter was fired, or was he, right after doing that morning special for one week on Aliens? And the name that came out of the chat room is trying to figure out who that was, was a Miles O'Brien. Does this ring a bell at all, Jim? Yes, but I'm very vague on that. Okay. I, I do recall, though, that there was a little bit of a scandal at the time. But, of course, you know, when you have a multinational corporation that owns the uh, news channels, uh, there's always some, again, plausible deniability. Well, he wasn't doing his job or he took too much vacation time. So it's always hard to nail those down, but again, you have to look at the circumstances and 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 look at the level of, of coincidences. And it wasn't it coincidental that he actually did a program uh, on uh, aliens, and then all of a sudden he's out. Uh, you know, I see this all the time, and of course, people say, "Well, you're just conspiracy-minded." Uh, example was a few years ago here in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. At the 5 o'clock news, they had a young weatherman on there who was not the re regular weather reporter. And he just suddenly stands there and blurts out. He says, and in response to all you people who were calling in asking about these contrails all over the city today, he said, I've contacted the Air Force, and I was told that they're conducting some experiments, but they assure us that this was uh, nothing harmful. And, of course, he's talking about the chemtrails. Right. And so I'm going, wow. So I watched this, you know, the 10 o'clock news to see if they've got any more details on this. And at the 10 o'clock news, the regular weatherman was back, and there's not a word about that story, and you never heard another word about it. Interesting how they disappear. Yep. Um, again, we're talking with Jim Morris. They didn't fire that young weatherman. I hope they just <laughs> sent him off on some other assignment. Instead of having yeah, self, uh, three self-inflicted gunshot wounds. <laughs> really? Uh, we're talking with Jim Morris. The website is jimmorris.com. Uh, we're talking about many things, but many of what we're talking about right now, as far as topics go, are included uh, and covered in his most recent book, Above Top Secret. Uh, you can find out more about that if you go to the website, jimmorris.com. Uh, and, of course, most of you are probably pretty familiar with his other titles. Uh, Jim, before we move along, we would like to touch, if we could, uh, more or less uh, about um, your book on the Fourth Reich. But before we do that, is there anything else you want to uh, share with the folks? Well, no, no, no. Just uh, think for yourself and get hold of all the information you can. And I'm not trying to tell anybody that I have the answer to everything, but I think I can put you on the right track. 
uh, would you not even say, though, Jim, that starting to ask questions is the beginning of it, really? Absolutely. The answers may not ever come. They may not be as important, but to understand that the questions are important. Uh, and the one really huge topic uh, that's out there now uh, that you've addressed it just um, cursor, cursorily before uh, we can devote this last geez, five minutes well, into it. Well, you have to look at the total picture. And like people who look at UFOs haven't looked at the Kennedy assassination. People look at the Kennedy assassination, they haven't looked at government conspiracies. People who look at government conspiracy wouldn't dare look at UFOs, and yet people who study UFOs wouldn't dare look at 9-11. Hey, folks, it's all part of the same world we live in, and if you understand, want to really understand what's going on, then you have to study all of this stuff. Uh, that's why, you know, unfortunately, we've become a very highly specialized and compartmentalized society. Uh, I'm kind of the last of a dying breed. I'm a generalist. I know a whole lot about a little about a wide variety of things. And as a result, I can kind of correlate and put things together, and I begin to get a pretty big picture of what's really going on. But most people can't see it because they're locked into their uh, own little careers, their own little professions, their own little ways of, and uh, topics that interest them. And uh, so, you know, they don't get uh, the big picture. Well, um, I, I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. I'm not a hard sell on this. And this goes back not only to your book, but others uh, to include the ominous parallels written back in 1982 by Leonard Peikoff. The rise of the Fourth Reich, uh, you know, as, as everybody said, Pogo said, we're looking for the enemy, and the enemy be us. That's right. Um, it is almost as if the spirit of Nazism during World War II, though supposedly defeated, in a sense invested us, and now we don't realize we've become what our enemy was. What about that, Jim? Well, uh, it, it's worse than it's worse than just the spirit of Nazism. First, we have to understand what they were talking about. The word Nazi is the German acronym for National Socialistic, uh, National Socialist. Okay. And the people who created National Socialism in Germany were the same banking families and financial powers that created Marxist Socialism in Russia, which quickly turned to Communist Socialism. Mm -hmm. And the problem, the only difference between the two is that uh, Communism threatened to go worldwide. There were strong Communist parties in France, England, America, Germany, Italy, Okay, and so the financial manipulators grew fearful of it. So they created National Socialism in Germany, which was no real difference in socialism, except it could be confined within a national boundary. And But again, Hitler got out of control. Uh, the German people were too productive. The German military were too successful. And before you knew it, they conquered all of it. Europe had most of North Africa, were pushing into Russia, and were threatening Britain. They threatened the world order, so they had to combine all the nations together and fight Hitler. Once that was done, they even uh, they just wanted to get rid of Hitler and the Germans. They didn't. They don't want to get rid of National Socialism. They like National Socialism because National Socialism usually is built on fascism, and fascism by definition, is the combination of state and corporate power. Mm -hmm. Okay? Even Mussolini said fascism is probably not the right term. It's, it's uh, corporatism. So now all you, look around you. We are now a nation that's run by the corporations. And many of these corporations 
IBM, ITT, Standard Oil, which is now Exxon, uh, National City Bank, Union Banking Corporation. These were all American companies that founded and funded Hitler and the Nazis. And now they're running this country. And as I said earlier in the program, we see a a exact duplicate of the tactics that were used to bring uh, Germany uh, under the National Socialist or Nazi heel. They had their parliament building, was it burned, the Reichstag? They blamed it on communist terrorists. Hitler said, give me the power. And so they passed the Enabling Act, much like our Patriot Act. They then they went in, started setting up police state measures, national identity cards, and concentration camps. All right, we have detention centers now being built all across this country. We are now getting ready to go into the national ID, which is supposed to happen next year. If you don't have your appropriate federal identification, you won't be able to have a bank account. You won't be able to travel. You won't be able to get a job. Uh, you know, we are just walking right down that same street, and nobody seems to pay any attention because nobody's taught this, and the corporate mass media is so controlled they'll never tell you this. Um, this is really unfair of me to do this, but I want to ask you a real quick question with a quick answer just perhaps to uh, segue us to another time, either uh, on, on uh, Adam's show or mine, if you don't mind coming back. But are, me, are we not looking at a situation right now which has all the uh, trademarks of a Weimar hyperinflation uh, that will lead a very angry yes. population to want to go out and kick some ass. Yes, that's exactly right. And all we've done in November, because the neocons, which were nothing more than actually the National Socialists under a different name, were so abusive and had gotten so out of control that it caused a backlash. So in November, we swapped National Socialism for Marxist socialism. And after four years of Marxist socialism, the economy in this country is going to be in such shambles that we're going to be ready for the Fuhrer. Uh, Jim Morris, thanks a lot for being with us. Uh, much more to talk about, little time to do it in. Uh, exactly. Thank you for coming on, really, I do on this uh, holiday weekend or week. It's JimMorris.com, folks. The book about which we first spoke was Above Top Secret, a little bit here in the rise of the Fourth Reich. Plenty of good stuff, Jim. Thanks very much for being with us. Have a very, very safe and healthy holiday. Thank you very much. Same to you guys. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks, Jeff. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, just in holiday style, in the air, there's the feeling of Christmas. People pass, children laugh, and from mile after mile, on every street corner, you'll
I didn't know for sure either. I just assumed I was. I had his mother so many times and in so many different ways. The odds were with me. Anyway, he looked up at me and said, What does Christmas mean to you? And I said, Lemya, Christmas is a time for giving, a time for receiving, a time for eggnog and rum, a time for cutting down trees and hanging plastic doodads on them, watching them die slowly in your living room, catch fire and burn down your house and all your possessions. It's a time for buying things that haven't sold all year long, wrapping them up in shiny paper, and giving them to your friends. Return them and find that you got it on sale. They can only exchange them for things of equal value, like charcoal briquettes or matchbooks with other people's names on them. A time for giving your wife that special coat she always wanted. Those seals didn't need their fur anyway. What do they want it for? They're dead already. The time for eggnog and brandy, driving home on icy streets, accidentally nudging the car next to you off the bridge into the frozen river, watching the car sink. Eggnog Martini and think about the poor and talk of feeding the naked and clothing the hungry. The time to get Christmas cards from all your friends that consolidated an hour and acne. The time for seeing all those happy children sitting on Santa's lap in Toyland, thinking to yourself, hmm, maybe I'll be a Santa next year. so far from 18. Maybe I should be laying a little groundwork for the future. It's a time for parties at the office with eggnog and vodka. Telling your boss what you really think of him while he gets a perfect Xerox of your wife's rear end. Time for sitting by the hearth, sipping eggnog and tequila. On a burning log, realizing that our fault has been in your garage for 45 minutes with the car running. You say to yourself, Damn, Uncle Walt, you were supposed to bring me back more of eggnog. And that, anyhow, is what Christmas means to me. Thank you.